Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our fourth podcast. This is At the End of the Day, a show about the lost art of medicine for those who are dissatisfied with the status quo in healthcare. My name is Andy DeLeo. I'm better known as Cancer Geek, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Wes Mercer and AJ Montpettit. Please say hello, fellas. Hey, Andy. Hello, fellas. So today, you know, I think is is kind of interesting. I know over the course of the, the last week or so, I often see things on whether it's social media or in the news that I'm reading, and I send it to you guys on the group message to be like, hey, here's like, you know, interesting idea or thought that I have about, you know, a topic. And one of those happens to be a Instagram message that I saw that talks about the new normal. It really talks about as restrictions are lifted and considering when you're going into public areas, whether it's outside or inside, kind of always remember to keep your distance, be aware of ventilation where you're at, wear a mask, wash your hands. And and really it's around this messaging of, quote unquote, the new normal. When I sent it to all of you is, you know, I asked, I was like, maybe the, again, air quotes, new normal should be a topic of of one of our segments and so i guess that's kind of where i want to start aj maybe from your perspective when you hear this term new normal what do you think about it how how are you defining the new normal well as someone with young children and a wife i think the new normal is we can't even do the things that were part of our weekly routines that we had as little surprises or fun things to do or even places to take the kids where maybe for an hour or two we could have a break from 100% parenting. The hard part is the new normal is thinking through how many people will be there. Is it in an enclosed environment, indoor environment? Are people in my community actually taking medical advice and wearing masks? Even for the new normal now is me trying to understand where my parents have been in the last week or two, how their health has been, and decide, should I take them up to my parents' house or not? Because they tend to be on the anti-mask policy of things. It's, it's a divisive thing. We are, I think, all inadvertently judging each other and keeping record of how people are acting and handling this pandemic. So, Wes, you're in a slightly more populated area of the country than AJ or myself are. When you hear the new normal, what are, what are your thoughts on that? How are you seeing that normal and, and what does that new normal mean to, to you? You know, my family and I love to travel and we've traveled all over the world, which obviously we can't do now. But, you know, we, we like to do weekend getaways. We'll just jump in the car and go for a four-hour, five-hour drive up to Rhode Island, out west or down south, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., just spend a weekend away. Those are not happening anymore. You know, as things and restrictions are beginning to ease here on the Northeast, there is the availability to go out. You know, you're not thinking, is this person infected as we were about three months ago? 
when we were really the epicenter of this COVID-19 outbreak. It just came up recently with my wife and I, we were talking about, wouldn't it be great to just go away for a weekend? You know, we need a break. Let's just go away. Let's just change our surrounding. And we thought about it and we were thinking about taking a drive up to Rhode Island to spend the weekend there. But then the question is, what are we going to do there? Where are we going to stay? What restrictions are in place? How are we going to eat? What kind of food are we going to be able to eat? How do we spend our time when we're up there? And then coming back, New Jersey has implemented a mandatory quarantine if you visit some of the areas around New Jersey and New York. So then do we be good social citizens and quarantine and stay in our house for two weeks? You know, there's just a lot to think about. This is the new normal. Unfortunately, until a vaccine is created or everyone has herd immunity, this is our new normal. We have to think twice before we do anything, anything that we were, you know, we would be able to do on impulse. We have to think twice now, even going to the grocery store. And it's happened to me a number of times where I've gotten to the grocery store and I go and look for my mask. I don't have one in my car. I forgot it at home. So I have to go back home just to get another mask. This is unfortunately our new normal. So this is kind of where I was hoping our conversation would go is. So we're we're talking about the safety precautions and the things that we're thinking about and whatnot based on the midst of the pandemic that we're in. But my question is, is the new normal actually maybe something that should have always been? And what I mean by this is, is that historically, if... I wake up and I don't feel well, or I've got a cough, or maybe I have a slight fever or something like that, I'll take some ibuprofen to try and manage my fever, and then I'll go out and about. I'll go grocery shopping, or I'll go to the store, or I'll go to work. The same thing when you know my daughter wakes up. If she's not feeling well, and she's not whining to maybe stay home, oftentimes parents will give our children medication and we'll take them to whether it's school or daycare or their sleepover or whatever the case may be. And so I guess from from both of your perspectives is some of this hypersensitivity that we have about are we sick? Should we go out in public? Is somebody else sick? Are we diligent about covering our faces uh, when we're out in a public or in large groups, distancing, washing our hands and what is that just stuff that we should have always been doing but we weren't forced to because of not being in the middle of a pandemic well i don't think forced is the right word i think we inherently and culturally have a selfish attitude america has a very weird a very puritanical work ethic where you know my father and my father-in-law used to tell their children you go to school unless there's blood or broken bones I don't care. And we don't have that sensibility. You know, when I would be feeling sick and I would stay home from work, I would have people say, oh, you're just being stupid or you're weak or, you know, why don't you go to work? Yeah. So you got the sniffles, big deal. And it's like, because I don't want other people to get sick. And as someone who lived in Japan for two years, there's such a cultural mentality of being aware of the other person because physically you can't forget that you're scrunched together with millions of people, depending on where you live. It's such a commonplace thing for when you have the cold or the flu season going on and you feel like you might have something to wear a mask. 
when arguing with my mother about mask policies, you know, I mentioned that and she goes, well, they're just, they should probably implement wearing masks during cold and flu season. And I said, yeah, maybe they should. That's a great idea because if you have to go to work and you can't get the day off and you feel maybe a little sick, wear, wear a mask. It's a great way to help protect other people from getting sick. AJ, I, I, I will agree with you to a certain extent, but then I will also disagree with you. I mean, when you talk about... Well, then you're wrong, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when you think about it, as far as having a cold or, you know, even as far as having the flu, the chances of spread are so low. And then additionally, it's not always life-threatening. We have the ability to fight it off. There's medications for it. There's treatments for those types of illnesses. In terms of the COVID-19 and the coronavirus, we don't have a vaccine. We don't have a cure. There's really no way to to treat it uh, other than just kind of if you're healthy, let your body kind of fight it off on its own. And if you have comorbidities or other health issues, it's a bigger struggle to fight it off. So you know, I don't know that we are hypersensitive to the masks and, and these things. I think these protocols are are in effect for our own safety. And I don't think that you need to wear a mask if you're, you know, not a low-grade fever or something else pre-COVID-19. And yeah, you know, we've all done the same thing if you have to go to work. So you'll just take Tylenol, go into work, or, you know, you can be ill and not feeling well, still go into work. And Wes, to your point, I don't think anyone should when we're post-COVID and with talking about the sniffles, the cold, the fever, I don't think anybody should be forced to wear a mask. I think there is a cultural mentality in Asian countries to be thinking about the other person. And I think there's something to be learned there. I think taking into account other people with our actions is a very simple and easy way to just live better. Or am I just being a jerk? And I don't know. I know. You got me, AJ. You got me. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here because it's not that i agree or disagree i think it's just the reality is is this is just what it is but if you work inside of the world of medicine and the first rule is do no harm and if we sort of believe that we're going to live kind of by that mandate whether we're in the four walls of a hospital or a clinic or we're going to be the epitome of that as a leader within our communities, whether or not it's a fever or the flu or the common cold or whatever that is, that there may be a over-the-counter drug that negates it, shouldn't we as ethical leaders working inside of medicine Shouldn't we always be thinking about the other person and knowing the fact that maybe they do have comorbidities that we're unaware of and maybe we should be wearing a mask and maybe we should. I mean, what do you think of that? No, I'm just I'm just thinking, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't see it as being like a authoritative, you know, legal action if you don't wear a mask for a cold or a cough or something like that. But it's just. You know, in my experience, it's just been a cultural mindset where, you know, if you do it, you just do it to protect other people out of, you might say kindness, but there could be also to not be shamed for doing it. There is a sense of your place in a society versus I think as Americans, we still have a default pioneer. I'll make it on my own and do it on my own mentality, which really should be examined, I think, with a lot more scrutiny. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And that's kind of why I was I was just thinking back to myself. And back in the day when I was working in a hospital or, or a clinic, 
there's only one time that I can remember myself outside of the normal sterile procedures of, of surgery in which I wore a mask in the, the department. But because of all of this that's gone on, it's actually made me feel that if I truly want to be a leader inside of the world of medicine, whether I'm in a clinic or a hospital or I'm just in my community, that post sort of this pandemic, I think that's just one of the things that I might do because in order to be that ethical leader, I need to lead by example. And it's one of those epiphany aha moments that I had. Well, and I'd like to ask OS because you're you're talking from a very logical clinical standpoint. And what's been made very clear is you're the minority of American citizens that think that way. <laughs> How would you address it to the general populace or create something that makes it more acceptable to to do? Because, yeah, you might not spread something. It's very low. But I think Andy's got a good point about it being a leadership quality of just saying, you know what? It's fine. It's you know what? I'm trying to help protect you. Even if it doesn't do anything, at least it's a very visible sign to say, I care about those around me and I'm just trying to do the right thing. Doing the right thing seems to almost be a forgotten civic duty now. AJ, to your question, I think post-pandemic and having gone through everyone wearing masks and you know masks becoming the new norm, I think that Andy has a, a very good point that you're doing it, you're leading by example by wearing a mask in case you are sick. And it is going to be more acceptable going forward. Looking back six months ago, eight months ago, when other countries were wearing masks, us as Americans were looking at them as being inferior like, and making negative remarks towards other countries for wearing masks and implementing mask uh, mandates. I think now it's become so apparent in the U.S. and everyone's wearing them that it won't be out of the norm. And it won't, you won't be criticized for it, but I think you'll be regarded as what Andy has just described as a leader who is doing their civic duty to help protect others by wearing a mask. So I'm not opposed to masks. Uh, you know, I wear a mask regularly. I think it's just in the context of when you're using it, how often you're using it, masks are important. If I'm outside in my yard talking to a neighbor that's six feet away, I don't feel like I need to wear a mask. Again, if we're in a close, close proximity or indoor space, then yes, absolutely. I think you need to wear a mask. And I'm guilty of looking at other people wearing masks and going, that's really, it feels weird. And I remember sitting at the airport with Andy right as everything was starting to hit the U.S. And we were there and I go, man, it is really weird seeing non-Asian people wearing masks. Because for me, my experience, that was the culture that I experienced it the most, where it was the norm. And I got weird looks as a white person in Japan wearing a mask when I had a cold because they didn't expect... I, I, I'm not sure exactly why, but I definitely got weird looks because it wasn't the norm for the the white people to wear a mask when they weren't feeling good. So it was just, it was a very much a cultural thing and definitely a breaking of cultural norms. This could be having a good long-term effect of it being the norm, especially now that we've got the, you know, Gucci and Louis Vuitton masks that everyone can flaunt their wealth with and the really cool T public type thing instead of just being a bland surgical mask like everyone else. Well, the cool thing is, is that they've got masks that match bow ties now. So oh, I'm yeah. super psyched about that. <laughs> the one thing that maybe OS you can help me with is 
Have you figured out the trick of wearing the mask and not having your glasses fog? Because I haven't been able to figure that one out yet. Oh, it's really easy, Andy. Just wear contacts. Touche, <laughs> <laughs> touche. Oh, Thank you, Wes. That was great. So with that, I think we should uh, transition to the next topic. So the next topic is regarding COVID-19, and it talks about the World Health Organization hosting a, a virtual press conference on August 3rd. And they talk about, you know, what other countries have done and, and where, where we are today. So they did a recap, and they basically put together a timeline that shows that in January 30th, there were fewer than 100 cases and no deaths outside of China. Then three months later, there were 3 million cases of COVID-19 uh, that were reported to the World Health Organization and more than 200,000 deaths worldwide. Since then, the number of cases increased more than fivefold to 17.5 million, and the number of deaths has, has more than tripled to 680,000 individuals worldwide. For us, it's our civic duty, it's our responsibility to keep physical distancing, wearing a mask, cleaning hands regularly, and coughing safely away from others. You gotta do it all, you've gotta do all of these things. The message to the people in the government is clear. Do it, keep control of what's happening and infection rate within your, your areas. Keep strengthening the health system, keep improving surveillance, contact tracing, and ensure disrupted health services are restored as quickly as possible. So my question to you guys is, in the USA, do you guys think this is happening? And what do you think are the pitfalls as to why this isn't happening? That is a, a very polarizing question. I think it's hit or miss. You know, I can speak for my little pocket in the world. I know our governor recently implemented a mandatory mask. So if you're in a store, in a public dwelling or whatnot, you need to have a mask. If you're outside and you can't keep social distancing, you need to wear a mask. And then, you know, all the other things that, that we've already, you know, mentioned numerous times. I think the majority of people get it. They fall in line and they're trying to be respective, not only of themselves and their family, but outside of their immediacy and trying to be respectful for others in the community. With that being said, I think there are others that are our other end of the spectrum that don't buy into this. They don't understand what's going on. They haven't been impacted by it directly. They believe that kids can get together and they're immune to it. And there's all sorts of other things that go into to that belief. I know recently I was at a gas station. I was waiting in line to pay for my bottle of Diet Coke. The, the lady behind me kept encroaching on my space to the point where I turned around and I asked her, you know, could you please give me some space? And she kind of gave me a, a dirty look and, you know, whispered nasty things underneath her mouth to me. But I think this kind of goes back into both you and AJ mentioned before is that in the U.S., we have a very egocentric perspective. We believe that if it hasn't happened in the U.S., it's BS. If it hasn't happened to me, then I don't know if I really care. And if it hasn't impacted somebody within my small circle of daily dealings, that I don't really care about it. And I think it's that mentality causing this balloon that we're not necessarily doing some of the things that were reported in the, the WHO. But that's at least my, my thoughts on it. AJ? 
I think you bring some good points. And for everyone who's listening, I would definitely recommend there. There's a book published a few years ago called Fantasyland. It is a really intriguing threading of history from the founding of people coming to America to today on how we have always had as a country a weird fascination with fringe ideas and giving them a valid platform to talk as if they were as much of an authority as the authorities of certain subjects. For instance, we're one of the very few countries with such a strong anti-vax culture the same as with the Flat Earth Society. Why have these things cropped up in recent years? And the, the gentleman who wrote the book Fantasyland did a great job threading the needle throughout history. My one question, though, for you guys is kind of a pop quiz. What country has 95 million citizens, less than 300 COVID cases, and zero deaths as of today? Japan? New Zealand? That would be Vietnam. Hmm. And... When you look at it, Vietnam has more people than South Korea, Taiwan, and Singapore combined, and a very high population density. When you think about it, how could, you know, South, South Korea has roughly 300 deaths, which is fantastic for a country response. Now, some people will say that Vietnam had very draconian measurements to protect their people from the coronavirus, but I would, I would push back and say... Think about that sentence right there. Draconian measurements to protect their people. While some might look at this and say, well, that's communism, that's socialism, that equals bad. Having a mentality as a government to protect your people is what most countries who have had very excellent responses to the coronavirus have done. And that is the mentality they have had. They are public servants to serve the public. And we do not have that anymore here. We have kind of an open secret. We all know this. We have people on both sides of the aisle. The majority of them are not public servants, but corporate lobbyist interests, special interests, patrons to push agendas for those type of people. When you see debates over trying to help massive unemployment getting completely blocked because it might hurt, quote unquote, the economy, while we simultaneously give trillions of dollars to businesses to make sure that they don't fail, to me, it's very self-evident where our priorities as a culture is. And that that's what frustrates me, saddens me, and just 150,000 dead people later go, when is that tipping point for us as, as a culture to say, all right, this, this isn't working. This clearly isn't taking care of the people. What, what do we do? So AJ, I think that I think we have to understand that it's never too late. And there's a quote by Martin Luther King Jr that says the time is always right to do what's right. So, you know, I don't, I don't give up on our government or the people that are in charge and, and the policy that we've created. I think there's always an opportunity and there's still time to make significant changes and turn things around. With that being said, I'd, like, I'd love to get your guys' take on, you know, an article that I was reading, I think it was earlier today or yesterday, where I think it was a governor of California has, or sorry, it was a mayor of LA that said that they are going to allow the utilities companies to shut down power and water, gas and electricity to people that have, are having parties or in excess of a, number, a certain number of people. What is your take on that? Do you think that the government should be allowed to shut down people's utilities because they've broken a mandate uh, set forth by the towns? 
Well, if I'm if I'm understanding the timing correct, I think this is coming off the heels of Jake Paul, who, if you don't know, is a wildly, for whatever reason, popular YouTuber. He has had some massive parties in his mansion where nobody is wearing masks. They are not social distancing. And those are the types of things that cause the spread of such a, such a virus like this. It's one of those things where I've looked at it saying, you know, we don't want a nanny state, but sometimes when people act like babies, they need a timeout. I don't think it would be like a shut them off forever, but just like, all right, we, we're shutting your house down. You're, you're being stupid. You're not following guidelines. You don't care about other people. And now we just, to me, it, it's like a, an adult version of a timeout. Yep. That's a tough one. I guess the fact of what's good for the population as a whole, you're right. I think there's bad apples. And because of the bad apples, we're going to lose lives. And, and I think in dire situations like this, it causes some extreme repercussions and framing it that way i actually kind of agree with it because you've got people that want to show that they're going to buck the system and they really don't care and they're going to continue to do what they want to do and at the end of the day it's going to be those that are less fortunate that are going to end up being the ones that end up losing a life or maybe there's a an economic aspect to it so i think in in this case and situation um i actually think i I would kind of support it. Well, and one question for both of you that I have is we hear so many times people say, especially from a libertarian perspective, you know, I don't care what people do as long as it's not hurting others. Well, an action like this is hurting others. You might not see a direct line from this party to somebody dying, but we know that's how people die is from these types of activities. So I look at it as saying you are putting other people's lives at risk by disregarding these rules. It's very hard to argue against that when the facts and the science show that that's what happens. I'm just tired of adults acting like babies because they have to wear a mask as if it's some threat to their life. The sad reality is we've seen these types of reactions when seatbelts were enforced. People would cut their seatbelts off. We saw the same type of reaction back in 1918 where police officers had to locally enforce mask mandates. We saw the same type of reactions with the no shirt, no shoes requirements for retail stores. As far as human nature goes, this is nothing new. To quote some people, facts sometimes have to trump feelings. When you're doing actions that could kill another person, it doesn't matter what you feel about it, you have to do it. As, as a parent, maybe I'm just drawing a much more hard line on things because you know sometimes you have to you have to discipline your children even though they don't understand why and see the consequences of their actions beyond what they're doing and you see okay if you do that you might flip over this table and crack your head open on the concrete so i'm telling you please don't do that and even though you explain it they might not even comprehend it and i feel like this is something of a similar volition where you can't do that and these are the reasons why and it doesn't matter if you believe it or not you can't do it i was gonna say aj you said three words and i've been replaying them in my mind and i'm like oh my gosh you could literally use that as a campaign slogan for the democrats rearrange it you could use it as a campaign slogan for the republicans <laughs> but but the three words that you said were facts trump feelings and if you reverse it and say feelings trump facts you kind of get my drift with this so 
Well, I'm curious which uh, which political party puts facts over feelings and vice versa, because right now the snowflakes tend to be seemingly with this pandemic on the right side of the spectrum, which is a very intriguing position for them to be at since they are the most anti-snowflake people in my experience. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to let that observation be left up to our listeners. Yeah. Decide for yourself. Well, email, email us and tell us uh, who you think the, the real snowflakes are. We're all snowflakes. We're all unique, beautiful individuals. So in, <laughs> so in keeping with today's theme of the new norm and talking about social etiquettes, I'd love to get your take on elevator etiquette. Like, what do you do? Do you, you know, you see someone in front of you get on an elevator and there's only one person and it's a decent sized elevator. Do you get on with them and stand in the corner? Do you wait for the next elevator? I mean, what do you guys think? What was the problem? My internal dialogue says, take the stairs, fatty. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was thinking. And that's just talking to myself, not anybody else. I, through this pandemic, have unfortunately today weighed myself and realized I've I'm the heaviest I've ever been in my life, so it kind of snapped me back into reality today. Like, I must I must have been grazing on snacks and food without realizing it through working from home. You know, the interesting thing is, is that if you have to walk up, let's say, five flights of stairs, and by the time you get to the top, you're all, like, winded, and you come out and whatever else, I wonder what the air droplet splatter looks like in that situation. So interestingly enough, the World Health Organization basically said that they're finding that a lot of individuals are actually taking stairs rather than going on elevators. And some countries are actually mandating a one person or one family per elevator rule. So it's interesting that you guys brought that up because that is what has been observed by the World Health Organization. No, but I will say that is a great point to transition to our third topic about small indoor spaces with a Chicago-based architect and designer firm putting together outdoor dining pods. Not only are they for dining, but they are actually working on designing these to be highly adaptable to multiple situations. So I wanted to take a minute to talk about this because I, you know, as a designer, I find these fascinating how quickly they're adapting. And a lot of times with economic downturns, you find that those are the most advantageous times to try something new, to try a new business, to try an idea out because you're at the best point of, well, I have nothing left to lose. I can try it out, see if it works. And so they've been working on building these small outdoor pods for a few different things. They had four really intriguing design points for um, one for being a little camper, which I think is great to have like a retractable roof on it, to go outdoors, you know, to see things. And that I think would also double with dining. Um, they have one for date nights. It's interesting because it can also have a divider between the two people. So if they're not someone you're quarantining with, you can still do a date night and have your own micro individual spaces and still be socially responsible. One of my favorites is instead of a swim up bar, like I have enjoyed in other countries, they have a walk up bar. Uh, think of it like a urinal stand where you have the individual walls between the urinals but you just have your little space where you can walk up and open and shut a small space to put the drink through the window and give it to you which is being responsible as well and the fourth one is a lounge for people who you are quarantining with where you can be outside you have a i like that it has a corrugated plastic roof because when i think about that 
if it was raining outside and I was sitting in that lounge, I would probably fall asleep in two minutes flat. You know, I can say in my local community here, I've seen a couple of different things. I've seen some of our restaurants that have typically been really busy and and there's usually a wait. Some have created food trucks. Of course, they've done the standard thing with like Uber Eats and curbside pickup and, and things like that. I've seen a couple of them actually build really nice flower boxes that are, let's say, maybe six feet high, and then they use their regular tables that they put outside on a patio or on the sidewalk, and then they're able to distance them eight, 10 feet apart and and do that, which I thought was cool because it kind of adds to the vibe outside and brings that restaurant from inside to outside, and, and that's been really interesting. But that has been my question is, I live in Wisconsin, three and a half, sometimes four months if we're lucky. It's warm and we can enjoy this. But as soon as the fall hits, it's rainy, it's snowy, it's cold. And WTF are we going to do for eight or nine months? And so when you shared this, I was like, yes, there is some hope to be able to to still enjoy some of that stuff but in kind of a really cool unique design aesthetic so i i i think this is super cool i think those are fascinating they've got a multitude of other uh, configurations and options but this to me i think really tied in well with our new normal how do we design public spaces for this new normal coming out so for you two since we're all in different states and different areas of the country how have you seen your public spaces kind of transforming to adjust to this new normal. Now, AJ, can you tell me a little bit more about this? So is this a space that you would actually rent? Is this a space that you configure and buy and throw in your house as, a, as an added space to have to entertain? I mean, how do, you, how do you utilize this? So good question. So right now, this is just a design firm that's putting together the ideas of how you adapt and putting together some models that they can test out with some restaurants in Chicago. Nothing is set yet, but what this reminds me of is there are companies like one that's called Room, and what they have is a flat pack isolation room for taking phone calls in a co-working space. So it's I think it, it could move into something like that where you could, as a business, buy them and have them outside your business. I recently saw the company Autonomous that makes office furniture, uh, sit-stand desks. They're going to go into production making office sheds for your home think of like a self-contained office that could be detached from the house sitting in the back of your garden maybe like a, i think it's going to be somewhere in the ballpark of 10 by 10 feet there's a lot of companies like that rushing to see an opportunity there where you can build little spaces micro spaces that can allow for different use cases so i think it's going to be a a new industry of interacting with public spaces and to get people out of the house, but also allow them to enjoy socializing in a responsible way during a pandemic. But I think what might be cool is post-pandemic, I look at these saying, some of these ideas are great. How cool would it be to be able to rent one for a couple hours and go work? Like you just need a change of scenery for from your office, or you just need a little isolation from everybody, or... Um, one of them that I thought was really cool had a cutout for seeing the stars at night. So 
maybe you could build like micro micro experiences and some of them they kind of remind me of those old remember those old tube big plastic tube playground sets that we used to play with as a kid some of them kind of remind me of that where it's like you could probably put these together and make an adult size hamster town again this is you know me just brainstorming as we're talking about this and sort of seeing what they look like and stuff but to me if i was in chicago or here in appleton or whatever else i would start looking at this and maybe how can i use it as we're moving into the the fall and winter season but then also how can i create other collaborations within our community and so there's a local artist here her name's Bree uh sweet uh and she she goes by sort of the name sweetacular and she's got some really cool super amazing art it would be really neat to see like restaurants to partner with other local artists and bring it into these little pods so not only is the restaurant benefiting from it but your local artisans can like benefit from it as well and i think there's a lot of really cool possibilities with these so wes how are people in new jersey adapting to being outside and trying to interact socially and what are winters like there you're not too far from somewhat similar temperate climate zones as we are what's a winter like there and how do you think people are going to adapt for that yeah, so it was interesting what Andy just said, because I was thinking the same exact thing with these micropods. You know, in New Jersey, obviously the governor has put in a mask mandate for indoor environments, but also for being outdoors in closed spaces. So if you're going to be outside in a park, you have to wear a mask. Now it's mandated by the governor. You know, parks are open, playgrounds are not open. So we can't take our kids to the playground, but you can go for a jog at the park. You can hang out outside. And now they're you know, allowing a certain number of people to congregate inside with mask mandates to a certain number of individuals. So, you know, things are heading in the right direction. New Jersey's case counts have gone tremendously low and it's been low for a while. So that's why, you know, these restrictions are beginning to ease up. What I was actually thinking is people are willing to congregate, hang out with each other and be comfortable in an outdoor space. And I know that's where my comfort zone falls as well. It'd be cool to use these pods as meeting places for family members. Because for a long time, when, when New Jersey and New York became the epicenter, families were separated and you weren't able to have that social interaction with your families. What if there was a way to convert some of these pods to put a screen up between and have entrances on opposite sides, and then you can come in, meet with your family in a protected environment, have a ventilation system, whatever the case may be, and then have someone clean it over, turn it around, and let someone else use it and rent it out. But I think that might be a cool way to utilize the space, especially as we get into the winter months and it may become harder to socialize again. Huh. So so my initial gut reaction makes that feel like one of those visits out of prison. Yeah. Pick up the phone, look through the glass and talk to grandma and grandpa. Sorry, kids, you can't give them a hug. I don't know if that would, that would be interesting to see, to research, to see what the effects would be from a sociological and psychological perspective, because my feeling would be, at least for my kids, not being able to touch, to hug, to have a physical interaction with family would probably be more detrimental than to just FaceTime them, at least for my kids. You could fix that, though. You could put little holes in it with rubberized gloves or whatnot. Exactly, yeah, I like it. Man, I feel like we're... uh, we're in, we're in the movie Outbreak where they're 
you know, they got the full body suits and the gloves to go in. And uh, I do know that there have been, I'm, I'm totally blanking on who the artist was, but they actually put together a, almost like a saran wrap wall that had those kind of gloves up to your shoulder kind of gloves. So you could give people a physical hug with a permanent barrier between you. That was a YouTube video of some little girl on, I think on the East Coast, because she wanted to hug her grandpa. Yeah, I saw that. It might have been that too. I did see an adult build one out too, um, and I can't remember where it was, but I know that there are there is such a desire for physical intimacy that we crave as human beings. I think that's the thing that's suffering the most. And I do know, I remember my first year in Japan, and you know, by the way, guys, did you know I was in Japan? I hate, you know, it's funny I bring it up, but, you know, Japanese culture has such a polite and very social distancing almost ingrained in it where, you know, you don't shake hands, you don't hug people you don't know. But I remember going almost six months without any physical touch from another human being because it was there on my own. And I would call home just in tears because all I wanted was a hug. Think of that what you will, but you, if you went six months without anybody touching you in any way or being able to touch another human being in any way, that is a very difficult thing to live through. And I had never, ever experienced something like that where you're an insider outside almost, where you're, you're part of society, you're part of everyday life, but you don't have that connection. And it is a major stressor. Yeah, I I can't even imagine that. And I hope I never have to imagine what that's like. But I think that's part of the heartbreak and tragedy with all of this is that there were so many lives impacted and they couldn't be surrounded by family, friends, loved ones, their caregivers and their last moments of life and on this planet were essentially that, that they were alone, they were by themselves, and just that ability to connect and touch was removed. And I can't even begin to try and understand the pain that that brings. But I think that's the harsh reality that I think all of us need to remember is that while maybe we haven't experienced that, that there are humans that have experienced exactly that through this pandemic. And that's why it is so important to be respectful of not only ourselves, but the people in our communities and the potential patients that they may become. So I think the best way to wrap this up is to say, go hug a loved one that you can. Make sure that you know that they appreciate it more than you probably ever realized. Maybe we'll invent the outside of prison, prison visiting center. The more I think about that, the more I, I think it's a horrible idea, Wes. <laughs> it's, it's almost a jump to conclusion board. Horrible idea. Well, when you, when you compare it to a prison, obviously. <laughs> All right. Well... Guys, as always, the time just flies by when we're talking, and I always appreciate the insights, the observations for each of your N of Ones. But for today, that's a wrap. I want to thank you so much for joining us. 
Uh, you can tell us the good, the bad, the plain, and the ugly at at the end pod at gmail.com. AJ? And you can find me on all the socials, which would be LinkedIn and Twitter at AJ Monpettit. And you can find me on Twitter at OSFMirza. And as always, uh, you can find me on the socials as at CancerGeek. This is Andy DeLeo. And remember, at the end of the day, it's all about practicing medicine and experiencing life at the end of one. <laughs>